Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Listen to the story now. Oh, this... wait. Wait. R.I.P. the great R.I.P. Ah, Miss Turner. We should have planned a song for it. We don't have the That's what I it. thought. The view that... came out to, um, um. Proud Mary? No. Simply the best? Simply Better the best. be good to me? <laughs> Simply the best, yeah. And I thought of that, but did I think of that before this? But no, it's because we never, ever do nothing nice and easy. That's true. That's true. So we're going to take the beginning of this podcast and do it nice and easy. And by the time we get to the end of this podcast, it's going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. The great. Um, there was a, a, com, um, a cartoon, you know, that was her arriving at the, at the gates and the heavenly choir is back there in St. Peter Galt. Goes, okay, you are officially back up now. <laughs> if she wants to sing, maybe she's like, I did all my singing. She can That's do whatever she wants. Exactly. Because I'm pretty sure she's not meeting Ike up yet. You know what I mean. How do you even bring that man up? We are going to 1967 England. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's where we were. Okay. We are doing the Dirty Dozen because it is officially Memorial Day. Memorial Day really is May 31st, but um, the the Monday closest to that. So is that uh, real? That's real. That's always the last Monday in May. Always the last Monday in May. But she says it's always the 31st. But the the real Memorial Day was always May 31st. Interesting. When did that change? It changed when they changed all the holidays to be um, instead Attached of on the date, weekend. the Monday after the, yeah, the weekend closest to it. Because, I, yeah, I guess the ones, the holidays that are. But like July 4th is July 4th. Because it is. And yeah. Christmas is Christmas. But, um, other than that, there you go. The birth of Jesus and the birth of the nation. That's yeah. how we roll. And so birthdays stayed. Everyone else goes. Except for like, because when I was little, we would get uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday off and George Washington's birthday off. Juneteenth is Juneteenth. Is the nineteenth. <laughs> Damn, she always. I'm just here. You know, nice. uh, it's true. I, I it's don't true. Want to be spreading false information out here. But um, then they changed that to President's that. Day, and um, Dr. King's birthday right? was changed to the third Monday or something instead of his actual birthday. Yeah, that's weird. That's yeah. his birthday. That's so funny because Happy birthday to you! Yeah, that's Stevie Wonder's Mar- to Martin Luther King. His birthday song. His birthday is the fifteenth, I believe, yes, of January fifteenth. Mm-hmm. 11 days before mine. <laughs> I, mine is a, a day and a month after Jesus. So Look, it got all your check marks checked. All your boxes checked. We are doing the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin leads a group of 12 hardened convicts on a suicide mission deep in Nazi Germany. That's what this is about. <laughs> the particulars. <laughs> 
The dirty dozy. What's <laughs> your hair doing? <laughs> It's yeah. like a, it's, it's like a, it's just being weird today. <laughs> well, that is weird. Okay. <laughs> but we love it. Continue. It was directed. Oh, it came out June 15th, 1967. It was directed by Robert Aldrich, 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 who did whatever happened to baby Jane. Vera Cruz and The Longest Yard. The screenplay is by Nunnally Johnson, who also did The Three Faces of Eve, The Grapes of Wrath, and The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, to name a few. Also, Lucas Heller, who did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, The Flight of the Phoenix, and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, to name a few. It's based on the 1965 fictional novel, fake, fictional, made up, Novel, The Dirty Dozen by E.M. Nathanson, who also wrote A Dirty Distant War and The Late Comers. Nerd Alert. The book was inspired by a couple of things. One, the 1964 B-movie The Secret Invasion, directed by Roger Corman, and The Filthy 13, which was a real-life American paratroopers unit um they were led by sergeant jake mcneese who was also known as mcnasty he was irish and a quarter choctaw descent so if you see them they went they were paratroopers in d-day and they were the ones in the old photos if you see them with um white men wearing mohawks and native american war paint because that was mcnasty's quarter Choctaw coming through in in the way that it came through I don't know I'm not a quarter Choctaw so that can be litigated elsewhere um he was so they were the filthy 13 they were super focused on missions got that what's the mission we will get it done but they had disregards for multiple aspects of the military discipline. Mm. And so they didn't like any of the military rigmarole that did not directly go towards completing their mission. Um, So they were very hard on their uh, commanding officers and were often in trouble a lot. One of them, Jack Agnew, said, quote, we weren't murderers or anything. We just didn't do everything we were supposed to do in some ways. And we did a whole lot more than they wanted us to do in other ways. We were always in trouble. <laughs> so that's that's kind of that. It's edited by Michael Luciano, who also did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, The, Yo- the Longest Yard and Stripes. Music by Frank DeVol, who was, also did Pillow Talk, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, to name a few. Director of photography is Edward Scaff, S-C-A-I-F-E. He was a camera operator on The Third Man and Black oh. Narcissus. And he also did Khartoum and Night of the Demon. Mm. All right. Now are we ready for the starrings? We are. So starring Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. Mm. Lee Marvin is around 43 in this film. 43? Really? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll save it. Uh, That's just put a 
button in that. He's 43. Yeah. He was also in The Killers, Cat Baloo, Paint Your Wagon, and The Big Red One. Yes. Here are some nerd alerts for Lee Marvin. Or should I say his birth name, Lamont Waltman Marvin Jr. Lamont. Lamont. Yes. Oh, I know he loved that. But he went by Lee because he was named after his first cousin, four times removed, Robert E. Lee. <laughs> his father, <clears throat> Lee Marvin's father, is a direct descendant of a Marvin guy who came to America from England in 1635 oh, and, and helped found Concord, Connecticut. What? So, yeah. So he is a he is old American, old English American. Dare I say original colonizer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Lee Marvin. This is why Lee Marvin looks forty three, and I am the same age as him. But I was not a sniper scout in the Marines in World War Two. I don't have a purple heart for the Battle of Saipan, also known as the Pacific D-Day. And so he did all of that, which I'm imagining will age you dramatically. Um, he was So how did he get into Hollywood yes, from, from that? He was working as a plumber's assistant at a local community theater in upstate New York when one of the actors fell ill and they just like, hey fill in for the role and he caught oh, the oh acting God. bug. Huh. We have Ernest Borgnine. He played Major General Sam Warden. Ernest Borgnine was in the United States Navy in World War II. He was also in Willard, Marty, From Here to Eternity, The he Wild Bunch. He was in Willard. Yeah, he was the guy in Willard. Okay. He was in The Greatest, Mikhail's Navy. Remember when Willard we did... Um, we talked about how he was married five times. He was married to Ethel mm-hmm. Merman in 1964. Mm-hmm. That lasted for 42 days. <laughs> he hurled profanities. They would have legendary fights in Ethel Merman's autobiography of their marriage. There's just a single blank page that represents her marriage <laughs> to him. Wow. That lasted 42 days. He was nicknamed Mr. Ugly. He was one of the biggest womanizers in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, there was this YouTube, the age of vintage YouTube thing that went into that. And he was also married to Mexican actress Katie Gerardo. Um, We have George Kennedy, who was Major Mac Armbruster. George Kennedy was in Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. He was also in Straight Jacket. Remember we did Straight Jacket? I didn't. Yeah, remember the um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, the the woman, Joan Crawford. Yeah, Joan Crawford. Yes, 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 yes. Oh yeah, the bracelets clanking. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Now that that, yep, I remember now. Um, mm-hmm. I know George Kennedy from the Naked Gun series of films. That's where I know him from. Nerd alert. He spent 16 years in the United States Army and was in the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And he's of German, Irish, and English descent. We have Robert Ryan as Colonel Everett Dasher Breed. He was in Crossfire, 
bad day at Black Rock, and I married a communist. Nerd alert. In real life, he was a Marine Corps drill sergeant. Um, he came to pacifist beliefs. Later in life, he married a Quaker. He fought for the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And there's this good quote that I found in Wikipedia that said, quote, Ryan's roles as cynical, prejudiced, violent characters often ran counter to the causes he embraced. He was a pacifist who starred in war movies, westerns, and violent thrillers. He was an opponent of McCarthyism, but appeared in the anti-communist propaganda films playing a nefarious communist agent. And... And in socially progressive films, he played bigoted villains or conspirators, conspirators, and he is of Irish and English descent. So those are kind of the officers in this. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the, some of the so particulars. So all of the officers in this actually were in the war, the big war. Yeah. Oh, well, the war mm-hmm. to end all wars. Okay. A lot. Good one for uh, Memorial Day. Yep. We have Charles Dennis Bukinski, also known as Charles Bronson. Yes. He played Joseph Vladislav, he aka prisoner number nine, who is sentenced to death. And prisoner number nine's crime was that he shot a medic that had all of the supplies as the medic was running with all the supplies. And they're in the middle of a, a firefight. And he had to shoot the medic in the back because otherwise he was going to leave with all the medical supplies and his men were dying. So he shot the man in the back and that's why he's sentenced to death. In real life, Charles Bronson was in the United States Air Force during World War II. He flew in 25 missions in the Pacific. So he is another World War II veteran. He was also in House of Wax, The Magnificent Seven and Death Wish. Nerd alert, in real life, Charles Bronson is the 11th of 13 kids, and his father died when he was 10 years old, and his father was a coal miner. The Bronson family lived in extreme poverty. He actually went and was a coal miner for some time. His parents were Lithuanian, and English was not spoken at home. He would go on to speak English, Lithuanian, Russian, and Greek. He changed his last name to Bronson because his agent feared the Eastern European sounding surname would hurt his career during the 1950s. Mm -hmm. So so there are films where he's listed as Charles Bukinski. Mm -hmm. And I heard legend that he named it to Bronson because he was over there on uh, where Paramount Studios is located. And that's the name of that street is Bronson. And so Mm -hmm. he just like looked up and was like, it's Bronson then. Yeah. But I don't know if that's true. That's just a legend I heard. We have Jim Brown as Robert T. Jefferson. He was inmate number three. He was sentenced to death. His crime that he was sentenced to death for, Robert T. Jefferson, was that a white man tried to castrate him. If you don't know what castration means, it means they were going to take his man junk and remove it from his body. Right. With no anesthesia. And- yeah. And Robert T. Jefferson was like, not today. (laughs) So that man didn't make it, which seems like self-defense, but the all-white military jury did not see eye to eye on this. 
And so he was sentenced to death. He was played by Jim Brown, who is, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, the greatest running back of all time. He was also a great civil rights activist. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of things. Um, And he was also a thrower of women, or at least a woman, off of a second-story balcony. He was never found guilty of any major crimes because the women refused to press charges after calling the police. All of this is true. The man liked to put his hands on women. What can we say? It's true. He also... He, he also, um, during his, he played nine seasons in the NFL and he was the NFL MVP for three of those seasons. And he led the league in rushing for eight of those nine seasons that he played. He retired from football because this production went long and Art Modell was like, I'm going to find you if you don't come to training camp. And... Jim Brown was like, I'm not going to take any guff from you, my man. So he held a press conference and was like, I'm 30. I retire. For what, for who am I getting hit upside my head for? Mm -hmm. And he bounced and he went on to make movies such as Ice Station Zebra, Three the Hard Way, and I'm going to get you, sucker. We have John Cassidy. And, excuse me, your Mm -hmm. father met Jim Brown. I know. We're like Jim Brown's, um, that, you know, that's the, a lot in my life, very young, learning to hold two things in your hand that head at the same time. Cause Jim Brown, I think he's the greatest, definitely the greatest running back of all time in the running for greatest football player of all time. If you, you go look it up, the man was just running over people just <laughs> could not be stopped. Get off of me. Get off of me. It's fantastic. So yeah, my dad met him. And he was nice to my dad. But my dad was not well, a woman. He's not so, a woman. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there you have it. We have it's John. It's like the great Michael Jackson. It's like so the, many. Not yeah. the great Michael Jackson. The great Michael Jackson paradox. Right, right. You, two things can be true at once. Exactly. Yep. And it's up to you of what you're willing to, because there'll be a lot of people and I'm like, they were like, oh, fuck Jim Brown. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm like, do I, I guess I have to edit my MVP. Well, but the thing is, he was also like, but he was about civil rights and he did a lot of, he did a lot of things. And he also, though, was, you know, a very devout capitalist and supported Richard Nixon, met with that other guy that used to be in office. He was about, you know, he was like he, his because wars are fraught in, on many fronts. And his view of it was all this marching and stuff is great, but Black people need to develop economic, they need to develop money because what's mm-hmm. the answer to every question is money. So he was on that front and like, you know, it's not one size fits all problem. You know, that, that is true. The economics of the situation and all of that. And he did, he did American, American foundation, a whole bunch of stuff, but he also liked young women and he liked to put his hands on young women and he didn't seem to like really, you know, like, I don't know. So, like, if you watch Mike Tyson, he, there's at least, like, a level of awareness 
with listening to Mike Tyson about like the things that he's done in his past and why he did it and the hurt that he was going through Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing where you, you have to take that for what it is. And some people, they'll never be able to look past it. And other people will be like, we're all sinners in this world. And so you have to just, you know, I don't know. You take the good, you take the bad, you take the well, and there you have the facts the of facts life. The facts of life. <laughs> yep. yep. What wisdom. We have John Cassavetes as Victor R. Franco, death mate, or inmate 11. He was sentenced to death. He killed an old man for money. John Cassavetes, we saw him in Rosemary's Baby. He was also in Edge of the City. He's considered one of the founders of American independent cinema. Because he directed oh. early independent cinema that we should definitely do. Um, he directed Faces, A Woman Under the Influence, Gloria, Nerd Alert. He, um, his family, his parents were Greek immigrants, and he spent his early childhood years in Greece. And when he returned to, to America at the age of seven, he didn't speak any English. We have. Trini Lopez as Pedro Jimenez. I he recognized in- him. Really? He was mm-hmm. inmate number 10. He's an American singer, guitarist, and actor. He was in Marriage on the Rocks. The Poppy is also a flower. Mm-hmm. And Nerd Alert, the first band that he played in, he played at the Vegas Club in Wichita Falls, Texas. And the Vegas Club was owned by Jack Ruby. A.K.A. the man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. A.K.A. the man who shot JFK. Mm. Or did he? No. Remember? I yeah, love the belief yeah. that he did shoot him, but he did not deliver the famous uh, headshot, kill shot. shot. Right. Right. I think that was a workplace accident by the Secret Service. A little... Oopsie Daisy. You don't say that out loud. No, she's 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 just thinking of what a fun script she could write. All this to I've already I'm already on their list for all of my questionable black politics that I've been spouting out here. Um <laughs> plain. Ooh, that was weird. He was yeah. bored in Dallas, Texas, and he's of Mexican descent. We have Telly Savalas as Archer J. Maggot. He was number eight. He was sentenced to death for the rape and killing of a woman. Um, Telly Savalas is famous for Kojak. Who loves Mm -hmm. you, baby? And he was also in Birdman of Alcatraz. He was Blofeld in the Bond villain in Her Majesty's The Secret Service. And he was of Greek descent. Mm -hmm. We have Donald Sutherland, Vernon L. Pickley. He was number two. He was in Clute, Mash, Animal House, Ordinary People, and he's of Scottish, German, and English descent. And we have Clint Walker as Samson Posey. He was number one. He was sentenced to death because he he killed a fellow soldier who wouldn't stop pushing him. He is famous as Cheyenne. Mm-hmm. As soon as what I heard that, that voice. Well, Cheyenne Bodie, is it Bodie Ma? Yeah. Cheyenne Bodie, he was um, a Western. 
He had a Western show called Cheyenne, and it was on from 1955 to 1963. Do you know what I just put together today? I mean... It had probably been in my brain because this was when I was a little girl. Cheyenne came up. Oh, yeah. Um, he was called Cheyenne because of his Native American background. Yeah, that's why Clint <laughs> Walker plays Samson Posey, who right. is, they, I forget what they called him, but he's supposed to be oh, they, Native American. That's what they refer to him here in an indigenous person in real life clint walker's mother was czechoslovakian yeah he's not i don't what do they call because you know how they call a yellow face like when a white person plays an asian person what is it when a red face oh as in red skin i guess yeah i guess so i guess we have some red face going on in here yep Okay, so those are the particulars. Oh, as soon as I heard that voice, I knew. Okay, well, I'm going to set the table. <clears throat> the movie starts at a military prison where we see a prisoner hanged. We go to 1944 London where Major Reisman, uh, aforementioned Lee Marvin, is meeting with the two-star general. The major's military record is very short on discipline, so the higher-ups consider him to the perfect person to take 12 prisoners sentenced to death or life sentences for murder, rape, robbery, and other violent crimes. I don't know if that was a full sentence or not. Reisman has to train them and qualify them to attack and destroy a chateau where high-level Nazi officers frequent. He goes to the military prison to meet his 12 men. What, what could, could go, go wrong? wrong? Now we are two people of color. I I really only saw one, Mr. Well, we Brown. Have, we have Jimenez, oh, who's Latino. We I'm have sorry, Posey, Trina. who's indigenous. And we have Jefferson, who's a black man. And the... The rest is very male. The only time we have women in this is when they're sex workers. Right. So. Yeah. So for cast, I just have, why would you pick a black man to go behind Nazi lines? It just doesn't make sense. Because he's a soldier. But but he, on this secret mission where, all you have to do is look at him and know. I mean, other people can put on a Nazi uniform and fake it, but there's no faking it for dude. But then by that logic, you're saying that like only white people should have been fighting behind the lines in World War II. Like he's a United States soldier. He's by the way, he's innocent and he's about to be killed, and this is his only shot. Yeah. At making it out. It's true. I get what you're saying of were there any, but were there, and I don't know the answer of were there any black Nazi soldiers? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, but that's what I see what you were saying is that it would be, it would. Yeah, but they didn't put Jefferson in the Nazi. Yeah, he wasn't to be anyway. No, I know. Yeah, he was supposed to not be seen anyway. If you're in a clandestine, it's like. Okay, I'm not going to get into it. I mean, why would they put Maggot in there? Because he's a loose cannon. Yeah. I totally. 
But and, well, go ahead, Teeny. I have two things, and one of them's kind of on that. Please. It's not actually about the movie, but it's just cast in general. Um, but well, this is something that I, I mean, obviously I know now, but I was not, I don't remember being taught in school about segregation in the army in World War II. I feel like that wasn't like a part in my class. Probably like, not. Yeah, no, yeah, because that's what they, that's the putting it under the rug of right. like, oh, we're all fine now. You don't need to, to learn about it. Right. So I, just, that, but my growing up, I always knew about it. Well, yeah. Um, and like, so yeah, the, uh, in World War, even in World War II, there was segregation in the military. Um, the blood banks were all separate, hospitals, medical staff. Um, you could only like, you could only get higher positions in within your race um if you were black and it wasn't until 1993 that the first medal of honor was awarded to um a black world war ii veteran mm -hmm. um but so then i was like i don't know just googling stuff and there's an archive about american social history and there's a letter that was written in 1944, which is the year that this takes place, right? Mm -hmm. March 13th, 1944. Attention, Truman Gibson, civilian aide to something of war. Um, and it's written by, I'm guessing PVT means private. PVT is private. Bert Babero, Bert B. Babero. Um, and he wrote, Dear Mr. Gibson, as you may recall, I wrote you several times while at Camp Berkeley, Texas. I'm at present in Pennsylvania on the brink of embarkation for overseas duty. Leaving the South was like coming back to God's country. You might readily understand my aversion when I discover that as far north as Pennsylvania, segregation and discrimination is practiced in the army camps. I sometimes wish I could be indifferent, but I can't. Right is right, and I realize there's no such thing as halfway right. Although in comparison with conditions at Camp Berkeley, these here are much more favorable, but why are we segregated? Why aren't we allowed to attend but one theater out of four on the post? And why can't we use any post exchange of our choice? I tried to answer these questions, but I'm on the ebb of becoming neurotic. I didn't start this war, but I, did hesit I, but I didn't hesitate to come when I believed I was needed. When inducted, I honestly believed that as a Negro, I comprised a part, an important part of this nation and it was my patriotic duty to avail myself when my country was in danger of peril. My attitude now has greatly changed. I'm indifferent towards the whole affair. I sincerely hope that though that you, Mr. Gibson and others like you, that America will be awakened unto the realization that we too are human and desire to be treated as such. And also we want to readily do our part in the progress of the nation. I feel sure that while we are fighting on the battlefront, you will continually be fighting on the home front for your fight is as great as ours. Good luck. Um, so yeah, just a reminder that this war was segregated. Um, and I think it puts into context some of that when like Jefferson sat next to Matt, was it Maggot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he was a dick anyway. Um, but like, they these people would not have been fighting together before being on this thing this like ragtag group 
Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how that's why you have like the red tails who are the pilots, the Tuskegee Airmen who were the pirates, the pirates, the pilots that protected all the planes. And you had black regiments in the Civil War. You had black regiments mm-hmm. in um World War One. Disgusting mm-hmm. racism, but it was always like, ah, oh, we'll show them we we're we're just as American. And time after time, I the thing that made me bump on that was when you said that, that the country will awaken. And right now, what is there? Yeah, a war on wokeness. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, I saw an article today from Time Magazine. It's an old article from well, it's from 2020. Um, titled The Overlooked Black History of Memorial Day. Um, Also, I did not know that. So the Civil War, approximately 620,000 soldiers died, but two-thirds of that was from disease. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not war smart. War war history and school history, I hated. History is not my favorite subject, so just know that about me. But... But was it <laughs> was it because it was just drab and dull and it it didn't get into like these things where you're like oh wow that's fascinating maybe or it's maybe. just you're just young and it's just I don't know I've just never liked history hmm. now I'm like, I mean now I'm more so because history is like a mystery <gasps> you know and and you love mysteries so it, well it, it's, yeah. It's true crime. Like history yeah. is true mm-hmm. crime. <laughs> yeah, was... so maybe that was why. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, um so Memorial Day is all about honoring the dead and um several towns in America claim to be the birthplace of Memorial Day. And <laughs> it's it... our idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this a Charlotte against Cincinnati? We honored the dead first. <laughs> no, we did. So researchers have traced the earliest annual commemoration to women who laid flowers on soldiers' graves in the Civil War hospital town of Columbus, Mississippi. Did never heard of it. In April 1866. But historians like Pulitzer Prize winner David Blight have tried to raise awareness of freed slaves who decorated soldiers' graves a year earlier to make sure their, mm-hmm. story, their story gets told, too. So um, this is all from a book called Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory. And a commemoration organized by freed slaves and some white missionaries took place on May 1st, 1865 in Charleston, South Carolina. Kind of South Carolina? <laughs> Carolina! <laughs> Charleston, South Carolina, um, at a former, <laughs> a former, <laughs> and I'm from the North Carolina, um, <laughs> at a former planters racetrack where Confederates held captured Union soldiers during the last year of the war. At least 257 prisoners died, many again of disease and were buried in unmarked graves, so Black residents of Charleston decided to give them a proper burial. Um, ten, for 10 days leading up to the event, about two dozen African-American Charlestonians or reorganized the graves into rows and built 10-foot-tall white fence around them. 
and an archway overhead spelled out Martyrs of the Race Course in black letters. Uh, there were about 10,000 people who participated, mostly black residents, and on May 1st, 1865. Starting at 9 a.m., about 3,000 black school children paraded around the racetrack holding roses and singing the union song, John Brown's Body, and were followed mm -hmm. by- a, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh, yeah, you, know you do. One? Yeah. No, you do too. Oh, da, 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 oh. That's John, but there's Never. different lyrics. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah, I, I, at least I think I could be wrong, I, but I'm pretty sure that that was like a, the John, John Brown. Brown's, Brown's body, body is. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's kind of morbid. Yeah, his, real his morbid. truth is marching on. Yeah. But you know they had the like. And they glory, had kids. Glory, hallelujah. And they had little kids singing that. Ring yeah. around the posy. You know well, what yeah, that's I know. about? <laughs> that's um, ashes, ashes. So these kids were singing that weird song, and they were followed by adults representing aid societies for freed Black men and women. Um, black pastors delivered sermons and led attendees in prayer and in the singing of spirituals, and there were picnics. James Redpath, the white director of Freedmen's Education in the region, organized about 30 speeches by union officers, missionaries, and Black ministers. They sang patriotic songs, like this song is just called America. Don't know that one either. I will rally around the flag. Hit it. Rally around the flag, boys. Rally around the flag. <laughs> Did you just make that up? You know, that's that's, that's really yeah. like when you spent. We'll get to my Rahita was, but like there are a lot of military songs that are just ingrained into me. And then the one that I know, the Star Spangled Banner. Yes. When we went to the movies on post, you had to stand at the beginning of it for the playing of the Star Spangled Banner. No, that's too much. And in sixth grade, we did the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we would have to pick a patriotic song to sing every day of the school year. So we got into like some of the deep cuts into the Anchors Away. We that got into like the youth group stuff, but like well, for America. Well. Given oh. my my teacher was, yeah. Like a I mean, she was a great she was a great teacher, but she did have her husband had a lot of Nazi memorabilia. Yes, he did. Oh shit! Oh, yeah, but she read us Eli both like um, night, and she was she mm. was very big into she was very big into America, but she was also very big into don't trust authority figures and yeah. like that kind of like what. I took to a lesson. Like she was very much of like two things can be true at the same time. Right. Yeah, the theme of this podcast. And she was mm -hmm. a great history teacher too. Yeah, she she went to she UCLA. Mm -hmm. And she and now I drink the same weird concoction drink she has. I've just morphed into Mrs. Wiley. Just <laughs> you can. Do I'm it. looking for decor, um, unsavory decor in your background now. Yeah. Oh, I do. It's called the Washington football team. Is my oh, unsavory uh, decor. Shit. <laughs> See? Oh my gosh. Ah. I think that lady. Um, okay, so in the afternoon, uh, three white and black union regiments war marched around the graves and staged a drill. So it was a procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States never saw before. The grave sites looked like a 
one mass of flowers and the breeze wafted the sweet perfumes from them and tears of joy were shed. Mm. This tribute gave birth to an American tradition. The war was over and Memorial Day had been founded by African-Americans in a ritual of remembrance and consecration. So I'm sorry. Could you just repeat that? I, I feel like I heard you say that black people started. Yeah. The Memorial war was day. over and Memorial Day had been founded by African-Americans as in a ritual of remembrance and consecration. Hmm. Nice. But wait. Uh, so uh, in 1996, <laughs> um, Blight stumbled upon a New York Herald Tribune article detailing the tribute in a Harvard University archive, but the original story, the origin story it told, was not the Memorial Day history that many white people had wanted to tell. So about 50 years after the Civil War ended, someone at the at the United Daughters of the Confederacy asked the Ladies Memorial Association of Charleston to confirm that the May 1st 1865 tribute occurred and they received a ply from one S.C. Beckwith who said, I regret that I was unable to gather any official information to answer this. Whether, so it's not clear whether she just didn't know about it or she was like, she was no, just like I'm a daughter of the yeah. Confederacy. <laughs> the exchange illustrates how white Charlestonians suppressed from memory this founding. Uh-huh. That's how it Um, A 1937 book also incorrectly stated that James Redpath single-handedly organized the tribute when in reality it was a group effort and that it took place on May 30th when it actually took place on May 1st. And the book also diminished the role of the African-Americans involved by referring to them as black hands, which only knew that the dead they were honoring had raised them from a condition of servitude. And really like they helped organize the whole thing. The origin story that did stick involves an 1868 call, so three years later, from General John Logan, president of a Union Army veterans group, urging Americans to decorate the graves of the fallen with flowers on May 30th of that year. Um, The ceremony that took place in Arlington National Cemetery that day has been considered the first official Memorial Day celebration. That's the one that's on TV every year. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming they still do that. Uh, Memorial Day became a national holiday. Oh, here we go. Two decades later in 1889, and it took a century before it was moved in 1968 to the last Monday of May, where it remains today. According to Blight, Hampton Park, named after Confederate General Wade Hampton, replaced the gravesite at the Martyrs of the Racecourse, and the graves were reinterred in the 1880s at a national cemetery in Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, the fact that Freed Slaves Memorial Day tribute is not as well remembered is emblematic of the struggle that would follow as African Americans fight to be fully recognized for their contributions to American society continues to this day. So there you have it. Good job. Wow. So in a hundred years, when somebody else is we're doing whatever we're doing, we're little orbs in the metaverse or whatever, and they're talking about how are you going to spend your Juneteenth, and they're going to be like, did you know? That really, like Juneteenth isn't a white person's holiday, that it's actually (laughs) (laughs) has its origins in when like black people in Texas found out. You know, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. They're going to come all sliding all in and uh, culturally appropriating Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be like, keep keep vigilant, guys. Look what they did to Memorial Day. (laughs) Yeah. 
Ah, I had no idea. Well, uh, I am this. So now I can celebrate Memorial Day as like and Juneteenth as my July 4th. Like yeah. I can the great feelings that I used to have July 4th where now I'm like, mm, this doesn't hit like it used to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you can do Memorial Day. Now it's that. Memorial Day in Juneteenth. Free slaves Memorial Day. Yeah. Nice. So that was fantastic. I got a great job, Teeny. I went in a different direction for cast. So you'll notice that, like, I wasn't very subtle with this, but, like, the prisoners, you have Jefferson, who's black, Franco, he, he is Italian, Jimenez, Latino, Posey, indigenous. The first dead one of them is Jimenez, but there's there's a tasty titty on that. Yeah, there is. Um. So also cast. So the innocent black guy has the most dangerous job. Okay, if you haven't seen The Dirty Dozen, we're going to spoil this. So it's a great film. Despite it how is. we're going in on cast, I had a blast watching Oh, yeah, this. it is very good. It is so much fun. They had but, so much ammunition. I mean, they could just just keep going for days. For they had days. so much ammunition. Yeah. So at the end, he's gets the most dangerous job. He tr- shouldn't even be in the situation he's in. It's just because of the color of his skin. And then, oh, because he's the fastest? Like, huh? Also, if I had to choose one of them to do the job where you have to be the fastest, I would have chosen him. Yeah, and he is the guy that he is lighting the fuse to kill a bunch of Nazis. So that is, I listened to a podcast. Well, I didn't get to finish it. Um, called Friendly Fire, and they their podcast just about war movies. Oh. Um, yeah, I had a good time listening to them. But they were starting to talk about like posing the question of when this came out in 1967, 66, 67, 67. Did were people like really that aware of like how bad the Holocaust was yet? Yes, because okay. it, it was it was 23 years later and I'll cover when we get into nerd alerts. This movie, when it came out, there was a lot of controversy because to us, this didn't even register to me, but that the violence in this film was very controversial of how violent it was. Mm-hmm. And there's there's more so just just like put a pin on that um i also think that it should have if we're talking like being truthful about it that it should have been maggot's job maybe to to be the most dangerous since he was by far the most despicable of all of them like he was i i'm sorry to him he's a rapist and killer of women and he wasn't it wasn't like oh i made a mistake like not saying that I'm not saying that of oh but he was a rapist and a killer of women. Jefferson, they tried to cut off his junk. Like you know, like it, those are two different crimes. Exactly. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but I was fascinated watching this based on the cast and I think that this is a great movie to talk about the cast amongst white people. Mm-hmm. Because okay, so Maggie is played by Telly Savalas. Originally, Jack Plants was supposed to play him, but he objected to. He didn't object to the rape and murdering of women aspect of Maggot. He objected to Maggot's racist 
Yes. Racism. Yeah. How racist right. Maggot was. And in so, the book, Maggot was way more racist than Telly Savalas played him. And he was supposed to be a Southerner. And that's the interesting thing about this casting is that Telly Savalas reads as, uh, like when we were talking about, like, uh, you know, Italians and Sicilians. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I'm talking about, like the cast within white people. He, Telly Savalas isn't playing a general. Like those no. generals, that's Lee Marvin, that's Ernest Borgnine, you know, that's George Kennedy, like very, uh, with the exception of Borgnine, because he's Italian, but very English, Irish, German looking people. Um, you have Pinkley, though, he's played by Donald Sutherland. He's white. But I read a description of him where he was, and it also comes off in the movie, and he, he's slow witted and a homosexual. So... Oh, okay. That's kind of why he definitely he's comes there. across slow witted. Yeah, definitely. he's. But there isn't a blonde-haired, blue-eyed convict among them. You know, like it's all you have. Mm-hmm, Vladislaw, mm-hmm. who's Polish, mm-hmm. the only survivor. And mm-hmm. remember what he's told at the very end by one of those um, waspy-looking colonels. He's like, "Now you're one of us." As now. basically, yeah, now you've crossed over. Now mm. you're up in the the high cast. Congratulations. You're officially white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I just think that it's funny. And I wonder how many people like, did you guys ever like see that? How like the white people, I know that they were like the dirty dozen, but like the ethnicities of where they fell in within the white, like I noticed that that they were equal opportunity ethnicity for the prisoners. You know, we had Hispanic, we had um, Italian, we had uh, American Indian, you know. So I noticed that, but I didn't go, wait, there's no um, Paul Newman in here. There's no... Yeah, like it basically sets up of the cast of the United States. Right. Of right. what cast mm-hmm. is. Um, so I found this article because this is something that's going on a lot. Um, and it's an article in The Guardian called Cast is Anti-Asian Hate, colon, The Activists Fighting Less Visible Discrimination in the U.S. by Claire Wang. Because... I think that that is just something that's very interesting because people don't really obviously talk about like when this movie came out and definitely in the 40s, definitely in 44, like white cast was much more of a thing. Oh, yeah. And now as the country has gotten browner and more visibly, visibly abling to define people that that kind of um, cast within that has kind of gone away. But yet it's still kind of there like there's still you know chips on people's shoulders and stuff and so it was interesting to read this basically this article it talks about how Dalits they were um they're the bottom in the caste system Mm -hmm. in that's woven into many religions across South Asia so they're referred to as Dalits now I don't know if that's how I'm supposed to say it D-A-L- I-T-S. When I was growing up, they were refer- referred to as the untouchables. Untouchables, yeah. 
So that's who we're speaking about. And so the born into the Brahmins are the highest uh, caste. And those are, they're usually priests and teachers. And then the Dalits are the bottom. They're usually sweet street sweepers or toilet cleaners. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, 1965, there was like a different new immigration thing passed. And it brought a wave of highly skilled professionals from Asian countries. Um, and so those would typically be the upper caste families because they would be the ones that had the means and stuff. And they were sought after um, professions that the U.S. wanted. And so they came over to the United States and they established social and political capital that came to define the South Asian American minority culture. So they were over here. They're the ones that made the rules. It's already a small culture. To the rest of the United States, it, it's everybody's you're South Asian, you know, like we don't know the ins and outs and what have you. So, um, that there's this quote, you can be a religious minority and still perpetuate caste discrimination. In 2016, there was a survey. It said two out of three Dalits in the U S reported mistreatment by other South Asians at work because of their caste one in four verbal or physical assault and one in three Uh, had discrimination at school. In 2020, the state of California state regulators sued Cisco, alleging that two high caste Indian managers had discriminated against a Dalit engineer, resulting in lower pay and inferior terms of employment. Um, So there's a caste abolition movement that's in the United States. And that movement is, quote, interfaith and multiracial and very queer, quote, We really see caste as a workers' rights issue, a queer issue, a gender justice issue, and that intersectionality is crucial to our wins. California State University is the first school to add caste as a protected category, and it's Mm anti-discrimination. In February, Seattle became the first U.S. city to enshrine caste into its constitution. And in California, there's a new bill they will make it the first state to add caste as part of anti-discrimination laws. However, it has been met with stiff resistance from Hindu advocacy groups who claim that it unfairly targets Hindus, an ethnic minority who are already experienced discrimination. So Tanunja Gupta, she invited an activist to speak at Google and Ms. Gupta had to resign from Google and Google canceled the talk um, because of pressure from people who were in higher caste, obviously, that worked at Google. And she got retaliated against. The company lowered her performance rating and made her ineligible for promotions. Uh, quote, employees who opposed the talk, similar to the groups protesting the anti-caste bill, were in bad faith conflating human rights issue with one of religious freedom. So I thought it was very interesting how they were talking earlier about the intersectionality of this, and I like that, but this is where I get I got irritated at reading the article because I'm like, you're not paying attention to what's going on. Because it's my personal suggestion that what's going on now regarding civil rights and LGBTQ rights and gender rights, that that's actually the playbook that is being used. It is religion. She says, Mm -hmm. quote, when we talk about 
LGBTQ plus rights in this country, we don't say that's anti-Christian. Yes, they do. Uh That's what they're Uh talking about. They're just the majority. She says, quote, when we talk about gender equality in this country, we don't say that's Judeo, that's anti-Judeo-Christian because of certain ways women were talked about in ancient religious scripts. Yes, they are. That's why women don't have control over their bodies. It's because of religion. I'm kind of like, like I wanted to come through here and be like, I agree with you, but snap out of it. What are you talking about? (laughs) They're they're doing the playbook of what works. (laughs) Um, Because in this country, it looks for anything that they can do to make someone else the have not. And they came over. And I just think it's a fascinating thing of this group that the rest of us are like, oh, they're all, you know, oh, that's the same. Or you would think like cast, like, no, that wouldn't be. Our cast is based on the color of your skin. So if you're light skinned, like, don't say you're a Dalit maybe and be light skinned. and You'll be golden. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's America and how you can get by with that. So it's, it's, it was just eye-opening for me to be like, no, these an- anti-caste needs to be in there and how people could use that part of being a minority. And if anybody looks at it and it's like, hey, what are you doing? Being like, oh, you're persecuting us. Oh, you're re- and hiding under like religious freedom. That is, that's what America was founded on. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying like, don't sleep on this. Because, geez. So I just... It was just interesting how even within groups that there's levels of caste because you see it within Mm -hmm. the black community, you know, colorism and stuff. And I'm sure it's within Latino communities and stuff. Everybody has their little pecking order of who gets to be at the top and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times it's something that is superficial and on the skin. That's why the whole thing of caste, it... I want to, to... I have so many more questions about it and I don't want to be ignorant about it because I'm it's not a thing that you could see like people, there would be these stories right. in the articles of people who are they're over at South Asian friends houses and, or they're at, at coworkers at work and they're eating. And then once the people find out that they're a Dalit, then it's, Oh my gosh, I can't be seen with you. And it's like a light bulb switches off. And that, that's, that's a wild aspect of cast to me that somebody it's, it's always skin and you know, right there it's, Wow, weird. So I just thought to to bring it back with that, um, how, you know, within the, just how the breakdown is with the officers. Like Lee Marvin in the book, Reisman, he's actually half Jewish and half Italian and from Chicago. And his Jewishness plays a part in um, his character and his motivations and stuff, which... That was completely taken out. Of exactly. The movie. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is a huge film, especially for baby bo- especially for baby boomers, because it's of that time of like when it came mm-hmm. out in the '60s, and a lot of people's parents were in the war. A lot of people who were like the war was still. I did it in. Oh, here it is. When this film came out in 1967 to 1944, that's a 23-year span. So it's basically the equivalent of us today talking about a movie that takes place in 2000. So it's almost like the world trade. Yeah. You know, like 9-11 to us. So 
everybody like there's people around who remember it. There's younger people who don't really remember it, but they're around people who had a tangible feelings to it. Um, the guy but, in that, oh, I'm sorry. No, the, go ahead. One of the guys in that podcast was like, I'm pretty sure my dad just wanted like, Lee Marvin was just like who he wanted to be from this movie. Like he was walking mm-hmm. into his like he was taking the ferry to his law job every day, walking like wearing like wearing his hat tilted like Lee Marvin so he could be like that's just who he was like who that at that day that age like who you wanted to be. That was yeah. like the template of masculinity. That mm-hmm. was also with Jim Brown. That that was a, a, mm-hmm. a masculinity kind of thing. Um, and it's also interesting because now when people look back and they watch this, they probably are looking at it. How much do they even realize? Cause that's why it's important to look at movies and do cast because it reflects of, of the qualities that society wanted to perpetuate. And people now they say that they want to make America great again. And they'll look to a movie like this and look at the cast and stuff that it's, it's there for the eyes to take in and soak in. But this is a time when the bad guys were known and everybody and everybody knew their place. Mm-hmm. But then the, and it's wild because if you read reviews of this, there are a lot of people in 1967 who are like, so what made the like, how are we any different from the Nazis? Because, um, yeah, like Raisman says to Jefferson, the Krauts, they're the real master race merchants. And I'm like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's talked about in the book cast by Isabella Wilkerson. The Nazis learned from watching us, the United States of America. Right. It's that, that famous, I learned it from watching you, the Trump uh-huh. commercial of my youth. <laughs> and Jefferson replies, that's your war, man. It's not mine. I don't like the Krauts major. You fight them. Like, you don't like the Krauts major. You fight them. Me, I'll pick my own enemies. Like, I got enemies here. You know, they're trying that we're supposed to be fighting for the same mm-hmm. thing, trying to cut things off of me that I enjoy right. and like. I'm still fighting a war back home. Right, exactly. That's like so, Muhammad Ali saying, nobody in Southeast Asia ever called me the N word. Right. In the Bosley Crother, his review, he says, quote, Marvin's taunt, pugnacious playing of the major is tough and terrifying. John Cassavetes is wormy and noxious as a psychopath condemned to death. And Telly Savalas is swinish and maniacal as a religious fanatic and sex degenerate. Charles Bronson as an alienated murderer and Richard Jekyll as a hard-boiled military policeman and Jim Brown as a white-hating Negro stand out in the animalistic group. All those things, they live to, and then like Jim Brown is white hating and animalistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's when did Jim Brown say that he hated white people? He a white man tried to come at him. He survived. The white man did it. And now he's white hating and animalistic. I was like, wow. So to just round out my cast, I just wanted to because it's Memorial Day. Shout out to the indigenous wind talkers who used their language yes. that the United States tried very hard to wipe out, but then ended up saving our asses, rescuing this country because the Germans were cracking all kinds of all of our codes, but they couldn't crack couldn't that crack code. That one. 
Shout out to the 6,000 Japanese Americans who served as translators and interpreters in World War II and in all wars. Despite being rounded up and put into internment camps, there were still Japanese Americans serving. Shout outs to Korean Americans, Chinese Americans, Filipinos, and South Asians who served in the war, all wars. I know that that shit can't be easy. Shout out to the Latinos. Ah, and shout out to the German Americans who, oddly enough, got to like be fight and just yeah. go about like they they weren't rounded up into any concentration camps during World War II. And then shout out to all the women who fought and everyone else. And shout out to all the people who had to to pretend that they they couldn't live their authentic selves when they were fighting. Mm. Um, Turning, who was uh, famous in England for cracking codes, the German codes, and he was gay and he was imprisoned. Was he put to death? I think he might have died in prison. I didn't didn't watch the movie. Yeah, so. Okay. So we are to nerd alerts. There there were a lot already mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so this came out in 1967. So remember, Tini, you were asking about did they know like how bad the concentration camps and stuff were. So in 1967, Wilhelm Harster goes to trial in Munich for murdering 82,856 Jews, including Anne Frank. He was in charge of the German security police during the German occupation of the Netherlands. And he was sentenced to, does anybody remember, for killing over 82,000 people? Uh-uh. Remember, sure. our man, remember our man Jefferson is, is getting life. I, I know Jefferson's a fictional character, but still. This man got 15 years. Oh, oh. just a little bit of time. No big 15 deal. years. Oh, wait, you said this is 1967. Yeah. This came out in 1967. Yeah, so the year that this came out, okay. this man went on, they finally got this man people on People are starting to know, so people know. They've already known because yeah. it's been 23 years. It's been 23 years of survivors telling their stories. It's 23 right. years of survivors okay. having severe PTSD. It's... As well as military officers, um, military personnel who liberated those camps and took pictures when they weren't supposed to, but wanted their own Right, that's what I was wondering. Authorization. Okay, yeah. So so it was out because they had to have all this information in order to even make a trial. Yeah, and I I mean, we should do judgment at Nuremberg. I don't know the year that that happened. I'm guessing that it had happened in the intervening years that... Nuremberg it had took already a while, happened, but um, but the answer is yes. Like, pe- like when this right. film came out, people knew that yeah. atrocities were done. But it's that old American thing of what were the stories that they told, you know? Right. Well, that's well, and that was there. Obviously, people knew about it, but did they know? Like, shit would travel different back, then. you know? Yeah. Like now, like, there's, you know, you. Well, because you had the people and everything. So their whole thing was like, did when people were watching this movie, were like, they were like, that's heartless to kill all these people. 
by fire and grenades or were they watching it from eyes of like oh yeah they're just terrible things like we know what it reminded me of the gas chambers yeah it but it's like it is now people you'll people will be able to say like oh they're that this is a movie of its time and don't bring in presentism to this and stuff but there are people if you read reviews about it and i think there's some later on than tasty titties but there were it it's like now viewing it there are people like a pacifist and stuff there are people who they saw that and they're like mm-hmm. yeah they're nazis like you goddamn mm-hmm. right this is how oh there's women and stuff well you're a nazi too and you did ferocious atrocities and stuff mm-hmm. so yeah we're gonna watch you burn and it's gonna it's for our entertainment and then there were a lot of people who were like yeah they're nazis but th- then what makes us different from them Got you it. know, like Nazis right. put people in ovens and we put people in ovens. So how is what's the difference? How are we different? You know, like people are always bringing up those questions. It was always an issue, but it's it's how you fall on that spectrum of, of what you're watching. You know, you see Jim Brown, a black man who's been oppressed and he's dropping grenades down to kill up a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Nazis who are white who racist against him, definitely. Exactly. You're going to, I mean, I, I feel both ways in my heart. I'm like, yeah, you're a fucking oh, Nazi. Yeah, absolutely. But then also, how are we any different? Because, because. Well, this was a targeted mission against one group <laughs> to end the whole thing. Yeah, but it's also yeah, like when we, I mean, we start, we, like Oppenheimer's going to come out and. That's, you know, that movie is about the guy who made the atomic bomb and we dropped that on two cities. We definitely did. Women and children were part of that. Yeah. But it ended the war. There's a movie about that coming out? Yep. Mm. Christopher Nolan's new movie. So it's it's not easy. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of... If and there's there were people back then who were like, what are we doing? Like, really, what are we doing? But... Uh, the difference would be if you're talking about it in cast of well those people though they're Asian you know they're not uh, yeah they're not yeah. white so mm. well there are those people so. um we also had on April fourth nineteen sixty seven Martin Luther King Jr. denounces the war in Vietnam during his Ugh. sermon at Riverside Church in New York City and he is killed exactly one year later yep. We also have, you mentioned this, Ma, 1967, Muhammad Ali is stripped of his boxing title for refusing military service. Making his famous quote, those people didn't call me the N-word. Right. The Summer of Love, specific, that was going on. You also had June 12th, Loving vs. Virginia, which made my existence not a crime. So hopefully that keeps up and... <laughs> I won't be well, we'll see. put back into being a crime yeah, status, could, but who yeah. knows? Um, we also had more than 150 race rebellions that were triggered by incidents of police brutality and harassment of people of color. You mean riots? Are you talking about the riots? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about race <laughs> rebellions. That's right. That's right. And we have it put this in the, oh, they just... They copied our test, and now we find ourselves in. If you're ever like, how do we get to where we got? 
It's because they take something good and then they learn from it and they make sure that doesn't happen again. We had Thurgood Marshall was nominated as the first black justice of the United States Supreme Court. And then they were like, oh, that's how they're getting all of this stuff through. We must take over all of the courts. Mm-hmm. So the top five films, we have Valley of the Dolls was number five. Never seen it. I haven't either. Hmm. Number four, The Dirty Dozen. Ah. Mm. This was also the highest grossing MGM film of the year, was The Dirty Dozen. Mm -hmm. Number three was Bonnie and Clyde. Number two is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And number one was The Graduate. So 1967. Oh, big year for movies. Great year for movies. I've only Uh, seen this one. And we, well, we did most of them before you then. We did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and The Graduate. Oh. Well, remember, you always have your redo card you can throw oh, in. Sh- yeah. Whenever you want to. Yep. Valley of the Dolls was a movie, a book, right? First. Yes. I think so. Yes, it was. And then it became a movie that I, I have never seen and I dearly want to. You've never seen it either? No, I haven't. Hmm. Huh. Oscars, Best Picture nominations. Guess who's coming to dinner? The Graduate. Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> wow. Bonnie and Clyde. And the winner. Oh, uh, sorry, a <laughs> film that we've done recently. In the Heat of the Night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you, yeah, because Sidney Poitier was in both. You couldn't have the one where, you know, Sydney Poitier and a, and a white woman get together and get married and such. Oh, I, yeah, but also I think In the Heat of the Night is a better film than Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but yeah, oh. people may vary. Those are my nerd alerts. And Christine, you've already done yours. I've uh, done my nerd alerts in the wrong section. So. No, you did them perfectly. Okay, negative reheatables. I looked at my list and I have EBMFs. What? Oh, extremely bad motherfuckers. I mean, (laughs) my God. My God. How badass can you be? Like, you mean bad at like macho machismo? Like, badass? Like, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but also in that setting, you know, it's a hierarchy. I mean, the military is a caste system, so you got to be better than the people that are that you are leading. So there's that. Um, Climbing a rope never could do it, but in high school, no, not me. But but somebody I knew went to the top. And then didn't know how to come down. So she slid down. Oh, rope oh my gosh. Yeah. And oh. those ropes were awful. Yeah. she. I mean, her hands, her arms, and her thighs. Did they just not think that a woman would ever get to the top? I, I, so exactly. I don't know. Um, and and I mean, how the ropes the, haven't changed. No. Uh, uh. I, the, I, 
but I guess it happened so fast the PE teacher couldn't really do it. Oh, I don't know. It's horrible. It hurts me everywhere. Oh, even my teeth hurt thinking about that. Mm. Um, oh, the carnage. Leaving a truck full of women with 11 convicted men that we, we don't, we don't, and a lot of alcohol. Well, but they did make sure that the rapist was yes. on. Wasn't that nice? Wasn't that? Because there was, was only so nice. one rapist among them. I think that, yeah, and they were, I don't, see, we really don't understand how much agency that these women had. Because on one hand, you'd be like, oh, they rounded them up. But on the other hand, you know, these are, th- these are business women. And right. so they're... Were they're they, around were the they, area, so I would think that they that was their clientele. Like that, maybe perhaps this wasn't their first rodeo. If I, it probably wasn't their first rodeo, but maybe their first rodeo with all men who had been convicted. Maybe wrong, but they didn't convicted. know because they were oh, on a secret yeah. mission. That was secret. Yeah. The thing that they knew was that their faces were that dirty. What did the other parts? That's what I'm saying. And you know, they stop. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, is a doctor coming by tomorrow with a lot of penicillin? Because. Yeah. There's just. Well, that's how they all died from diseases. Yes. That's the part (laughs) I don't tell you in school either. Two thirds of people in the Civil War died from disease. Do you know why? Because they so there was a couple of reasons. Food. Yeah, they there wasn't really any plumbing. They were just I don't even know if this was I think this was before they realized soap and what soap does. So and also the bullets, the bullets that we have now are purposely so that you die. The okay. bullets, those steel bullets, they would do inflict a great amount of damage, but they mm. wouldn't they would shatter bones and stuff, but they wouldn't kill. So they would maim. So then people mm, have like, like their arms and legs are all busted. So then they're going to the tent and got home. You know, people are just sawing limbs off and stuff, but they're not washing they're not hands. Like they're just yeah. going on and on. And they to aren't washing places. the wounds. And they they're are washing the wounds. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of men together. It's they're raining. So it's just intense. They're Mud, really dirt. Cold, dirt. Again, soap. They don't have it. So then they're just spreading disease just around. And that's how people get wiped out. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. like the bullets and stuff. They got killed. Yeah. You know, they, they got that. Yeah, exactly. But now we have the bullets that they just poof, ah, jelly mm-hmm. into your insides. Uh-huh. But yeah, those that's why there's so much disease and death. Mm. Another negative I have learned from watching Escape to the Chateau is you don't walk on the roof of a chateau. Oh. Those things are old and not very oh, reliable. Wow. That's a good point. You're welcome. Did you see the problematic statues in the chateau? Um, you mean the Nazi? Do you mean in the in the Nazi chateau? Yeah. Of the Hitler. Yeah. Well, um, not just the Hitler um, statue uh, busts and pictures and such. There were two um, statues that depicted uh, Africans in some getup. They um, were like fancy lawn jockey situations. Oh. Okay, so those were my most pressing, but I know you're going to bring up some that I'm going to go, yeah. Okay, 
I have one that might be a little controversial with this family. Ooh. But why are army people always wearing their damn uniforms? Well, because they're in the army. But they're like, always, they're, I feel like they're always, they were wearing the uniforms everywhere. Yeah, well, because that was, it was wartime. So you're. For this, yeah. Yeah. For this, if I you're, guess. If you're talking about now. Well, not now. No, I'm not talking okay. about now. Okay. I just felt like there were some times in the movie where I was like, why are y'all still wearing your uniform? But maybe they well, were always at work. And they're in prison. They're well, in, yeah. in prison. Yeah, so and their, the... their uniforms didn't have any insignias, didn't have any names, didn't have any rank. Because they were on a secret mission. Well, bef- when they were just in prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I asked Poppy and he said, yeah, they probably would have been stripped of all of that when they were court-martialed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're um, always, because you're, like, you're, it's war, so you're... That's your uniform. It's always got to be ready. Yeah, it's like like if you were at Target, you would be wearing the khaki and the red top. We're in Target. (laughs) If if Target's at war and you could be called in at any moment, you you would always be able to wear that. Target is at war, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. And And it sucks because all those, all these... The, the products that they were selling were actually from like a bunch, uh, a good amount of them were actually from like queer small business owners. Mm-hmm. Who they like are, were selling their products. Mm-hmm. And like now all of these people who have these products were like, I don't know what the future is. I don't know. Like, what about my product that they exactly. sold? And exactly. it's the silliest thing I ever did see for these dum-dums going into Target. Like, how stupid can you be? Yeah. Like, it's a rainbow on a t-shirt. And then I walked by a store the other day. I'm really heated about this subject because I've always hated little kids' clothes. Um, <laughs> you could stop it at the clothes. You you could take that part out of the sentence. But um, I've always hated the ones that are like heart, future heartbreaker and all that shit. And I walked by a store the other day and there was a little baby onesie for like an infant. And it said, I'm too sexy for my diaper. And I'm like, this is, this exists. And we're out here mad about Target. And like a bunch of these people that have been going in and they're like i'm in the children's section and they're not they're in the pride section because like people were all up in arms about these swimsuits that were like designed it's like a compression top and then the bottoms are like good for tucking it wasn't oh they're talking about the bulge i'm like excuse me i kind of have a bit of a bulge like (laughs) aren't there some women who well they're mad about the, the, the property the tucking properties and all this but like it, that wasn't for a child. That's an adult swimsuit. Yeah. That somebody was just like, I'm in the child sections and look at this. But like that wasn't a kid's bathing suit. That was right. a swimsuit right. for an adult. That was there. But they're it's okay just- to have all their guns in their houses. And, you know, people might go in and shoot up the school where their kids go. But that's okay. Yeah. I saw a, a one girl and she was like, she was like, oh, my God, I'm in Target right now. And I cannot believe they have boys clothing right here there's boys clothing and i don't have a boy i have a daughter i cannot believe that they would you know just like oh just because it's not you know her whole point was like 
just because this is not for me, they shouldn't sell right. it. Like right. the whole thing is a ridiculous thing. It is. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I I was just it just went over. I was like, oh, that's just a bathing suit. And they're like, the bulge. And I'm like, what like yeah. I, some, sometimes fat will settle. <laughs> it, it's gravity. It's a gravitational pull that it just pulled there. Oh, wait till you're uh, 70. Exactly. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, my other negative reheatable is so there is is the scotch and water. Yes. However, mm. one of the things I appreciate from this movie is that there was toxic masculinity, but not in like an in-your-face. I don't know. So that in the, that podcast I was listening to, they talked about this scene, and they were like, um, you could never do that scene today. If they did that scene today, it would have been straight alcohol. Like, they would have drink it neat, and they would have made faces to, like, show how manly they are, that they're just drinking this thing neat. But it wasn't. It was just like, hey, this is how we drink it. It's with water. Like, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that it was just like, this is what we would actually drink. And like, this is how that, that was like a drink of the time for that kind of people. And, but I was like, they're totally right. This day, if they made this movie set then today, it would have been Johnny Walker, just neat with nothing. They would have had to make faces to show how mainly they are, that they're drinking it without mixing it or watering it down. I wonder too, though, also because this is wartime and, it would be, I'm sure that they could get it, but it's not like they could just get order up Drizzlies and get more Johnny right. Walker. And right. so I would think no. that they would and add water to bottle, apparently. Yeah, that it would to to uh, stretch it out. My father used to say, if they wanted to put water in it, they would have put it in at the distillery. That sounds that's, like something my father would say. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I approach my alcoholic beverages as well. I routinely forget to add water. Two, two drinks and um those are my only two that i wrote i didn't but it more. was an engaging movie where you yeah i was like interested yeah so yeah. much fun i also like to piggyback on teenies it was the ma- i i like it's a good but it's a bad reheatable because i li- i do like the masculinity of the film mm-hmm. but i wonder as I was watching it, I wonder how much of that had to do with my age and, like, if we watched it to a Zoomer, if they would just be like, oh, my, and just crying and well, thinking yeah. that it was. Oh, true. Because I know, like, I know that generation of men. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's Both still. Both your grandfathers. Exactly. And then, and then my father and, like, my friends' fathers and stuff of, of like, you know, talking to them because that, that, those were their fathers. So just that, like, uh, more of a gruffness. But then it's, as it, it's gotten a little bit softer, but just that masculinity. And it's like, no, I find, like, I don't, I think there's a place for masculinity, but. It's when it veers into that toxic space mm-hmm. where it's like, yo, you can be a man. You can like let your aggression out, but be have some awareness to it. That's why this is my negative reheatable on the masculinity is when he calls, even though we don't like Colonel Breen, when he does call him bad, because like, he basically his final put down is that he's emotional. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that's... Uh, 
it's not the best. Like, yeah. you could call him out for, like, a whole bunch of things. They use, like, bad at his job. But to, to boil it down to, oh, it's because you're emotional. It, it's kind of like, no. Now, hold on. Men are allowed to have their feelings. Exactly. Stuff. That wasn't the reason that he was bad. He was bad because he was insecure. There's a difference. Let's not equate insecurity with being emotional. Because you're, like, let's foster emotions and then be having an awareness of them. Um... Then the, my other negative reheatable is when Raisman, that whole posy psychological warfare scene where he yeah. gives him the knife and he's like, come on, stick it to me, stick it to me. And, and he's just pushing him and stuff. And and the whole thing is that this guy, Raisman, Lee Marvin, knows that he's going to be able to outmaneuver him. Uh-huh. I'm like, my man, that Cheyenne is off big motherfucker mm-hmm. and you made him big time mad and you already know he's got a body to his name and you're I'm like you're going in you're a little dangerous bro getting a little too cocky yeah. a little too big for your britches you're lucky this is a movie and they wrote you out and it could be you're still living cause I was like yo um and then when he leaves Lee Marvin's character, he leaves the room for them to fight it out after Maggot makes his racist remark. And then he tells the MPs, oh, let him fight it out. I was just like, that's very on brand for America mm-hmm. of, of how America just dealt with the race issue and continues to. Right. Nothing to see here. Oh, they'll figure it out. So those are my negatives. Okay, my positives. The first time I heard Clint Walker speak, I knew he was my Cheyenne. So he was, when this came out, he was big time TV star. Like people knew, Uh oh, that's Clint Walker. Uh Um, The band bit, when the band, when they think the general is coming and they strike up the band and they keep stopping it, strike up the band. I like that. The suspense, it got very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I've said it before, and I'm gonna say it again. You look at the German uniforms, and you look at the American uniforms, and you went, oh, "Okay, I, I, I guess Coco Chanel and Carl Langerfield had something to do because those." He was Hugo Boss. Was it Hugo Boss? Those are Hugo Boss. I believe that those are he. That it was Hugo Boss who does. That's why, like. Horrible, horrible people. But if horrible people. But my God, they were dressed. They were dressed to do horrible things. It, do it, horrible it, things. it makes me so much matter that they look. No, that and like they, no, you should have been in shambles doing these atroc- yeah. atrocities. Here we are with the wrinkly khaki and olive and and the the jackets that came at the waist and uh, yeah, okay. Jim Brown's <laughs> smile. When he smiled, I like that. Um, okay, that those were mine. Well, I did. You see the candle chandelier, the chandelier in the chateau, and they had these tapered candles that must have been two feet tall. Mm. It was amazing. Well, it was oh. a chateau. Mm-hmm. Um, chateaus. I have just. Mm-hmm. I know. I I'm thought so Chateau Destruction would have been a negative reheatable for you. I got a tasty on it. Okay. Um, the war games 
the whole war games part. They still do that. Yeah. Like, I kind of want, I want to do it. That's fun. Okay. I love it. I love a good game. I really want to do it. You I, should have been in Reforger. <laughs> yeah. Adam doesn't love games. Well, maybe he does. I don't know. We were sitting here with the closet open earlier and he said, when's the last time we touched one of those board games? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, well, that's valuable closet space. And, and my, like board games are something you don't play all the time, but like you just right. have them. You, you, you got to have it when it's time. Yeah. But um, that's because he had the board games in his closet. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and he hates you know, like escape rooms, I'm in, he hates it. But so war games seems like a fun game to me, except for like that you could possibly die even in the Yeah, fake but one. you'd want mm-hmm. Adam there because he'd be the one that could run fast. Yeah. Even though he hasn't run in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Teeny's been shaving her time down, so she he may tricked, have to. He tricked me earlier today. He said, can you help me lift the air conditioning <laughs> and it's going to be easier if we both do it. And he just had you do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, I wasn't doing anything. I was just guiding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the last supper bit, I didn't under, I didn't, it, mm-hmm. I had to listen to the other podcast yeah. and realize that that was like the last supper, but yeah. what a metaphor. I love it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about me. I'm never going to recognize a metaphor. But when you mm-hmm. tell me it, I'll appreciate and, uh, it. There yeah, you then go. I'm like, ah, same thing. There you here. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the the prisoner jackets that they were wearing with the P on the back. Yeah. I liked that. Of course. That's in teeny style. Yeah. <laughs> that is some teeny style. Um, I also had the suspense. I was so nervous. There was one part I had to stand up. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah. Or so nervous. Yeah. Um, when he came out to like I'm repeating a lot of this podcast because they just pointed things out that I didn't even realize. When was it Franco or Posey who was out there with when the um, German guy when the Nazi came to get a cigarette? Oh, that was the uh, that was Donald Sutherland. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and they were like, "Oh, we thought that it was good, that that was going to be the moment." Well, I think everyone thought it was going to be the moment that they, that they were noticed, but. Um, but they were like, I want, like, we thought we was going to notice that he had an American cigarette because he would have had like an American cigarette. Exactly. But then they were like, I wonder if there was like a cut scene where they gave everyone German cigarettes. I don't know. But interesting. That was good. Mm -hmm. Did they mention on that, um, the, the pens that, uh, Charles Bronson was collecting? No, I didn't realize what that was. That was, um. It was a scene, and those were actually pencils that were detonators. So they oh, were that like you some, like put in the oh, they were like those fish. Yeah, yeah. But they're saying because you never saw anything else about them, that it looked like it was a scene that had another scene to go with it. They cut the other scene and didn't go and cut yeah. that one because or maybe it was a th- a thing of like so ma- there were so many veterans that they all knew what that was. Maybe. You know, and they yeah. and there was a bunch of veterans who made this, so they're just like, oh, everybody knows what this like. These are mm-hmm. the detonating. We all know this. Mm-hmm. So we can cut it out. I don't know. And then I kind of love that everybody died because I was like, it's not what you expected, right? At least I didn't, right? 
I knew a couple people would die. I knew Donald Sutherland. But you had figured more than one would live. Yes. But and I, only only one lived. I know, yeah. but you figured like there was no way only at mm. least five would have lived or something. I, you know? I don't know. I when I saw the cast breakdown, I was like, hmm. I know I know the Latino is not making it. Right. I know the Native America's not making it. Right. I know the black guy's not making it. However, he did live. He they tricked us. He almost lived the whole way. He no, they made did. him do the most dangerous job that there was. I'm yeah. like, ah, well, he had a good run. And then they say to Jim Brown, run faster. How dare you? Mm. The audacity. Yeah. Those are my positives. Excellent. I yeah. have the start, a hanging. What a start! We're just boom, boom, boom. We're right in here. Like, wait, what? Yeah. And that, and that noose was the kind they actually used. I love military march songs. I was humming the the Stars and Stripes forever over here. Oh yeah, growing up on military bases, and then when I did my internship at the Pentagon, and it was just basically watching videos of the forget what unit they are but it's just them and oh man that i'm telling you man stars and stripes forever that's a bop (laughs) (laughs) and then when they when they do the breakdown and then Uh they slow it down at the end i'm like oh remix man i love a good march and i will say uh, um after living overseas for six years not in sequence, but you know, you come home and you hear the um, the Star Spangled Banner, and it means a little bit more. That's why I kind of I got kind of teared up with like um, Brittany Griner. You know how she oh, like yeah. you know she she used to kneel, and then she comes home and she's like, look, I still like believe in the cause, but like now that kind of means something. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, like I cried through that whole thing. There are people who like like you don't get like that's. That's why they're holding the of two minds and holding them both at uh-huh. the same time. Because like when you live There's, overseas, you're yeah. as as many. That's why I want to point out the problems. Just be who we say we are. But yeah, that, that it's wild. But it, it's not even and and of all the march like that isn't even a march. I'm talking about the John Philip Sousa marches. Uh-huh. Like that man was like yeah hell yeah go let's go play that Ooh. tuba. Like the Marine song and stuff, that like all of them, man, like them. Um, let's see. Okay, when he tells, when he when Lee Marvin tells the superior officer, and and how Lee Marvin said, like again, we mentioned it, but his, I know it's problematic, but I really enjoyed the Lee Marvinness of this guy, and I get. I think he was supposed to be younger, but in real life, knowing that he was like 43 and stuff, I just, I totally get the vibes. When he says to the superior officer, no, thank you, sir. I'm not very interested in embroidery. That was RuPaul level shake. <laughs> oh, this movie gave me a quotable of the year candidate. So I can't oh, wait. Hey. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, I, I was listening to this podcast and they talked about, they made this very crazy point to me this week about how um, 
and it goes with him like his whole philosophy so the reason why he said that and it was such shade is because he's basically saying i don't care about praise i care about results i don't care if you think i'm doing a good job i want to achieve the mission and the goal you know you don't have to give me ribbons because the embroidery that he's talking about is he's talking about the ribbons and awards that the superior officers have that he doesn't um but I also acknowledge that there's a problem with that, that it's a good philosophy because it goes with the, like, the whole Facebook thing of go fast and break things. And you're like, whoa, whoa. If you can't only care about results, I, I feel like the, his whole philosophy is completely dependent on good judgment and self-awareness. And I was listening to a podcast that was basically like some people, they just don't have good judgment. Like, they just don't, like, if you have good judgment and you look at people and you're like, why are you doing that? Like, it's not like they go out on purpose and are like, I'm going to, I'm going to do, like, mess everything up. Like, they thought that they were doing a good job. And some, like, if you are lucky enough, like, be grateful if you have the ability to have good judgment. Because it's not a given. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it that way. That's wild. I also have war games in Europe. That was my childhood. Love that. Mm. <laughs> Seeing your poppy on the on the AFN American oh, it was on the news. Network. He was and and we would when we would say the blessing at dinner. It was always you always had to add and keep poppy safe in the field. <laughs> when he was in the when he was in the when he was being paid to camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pay me. <laughs> How cold were the eggs? Yeah. Um. I thought it was great. They didn't really mention it, but you, it was, you had to look, it was subtext, but remember how, so he's, Raisman's whole thing is actually, he's being a pretty good coach in that he gets inside the minds mm. to figure out how he can motivate them to get the best out of them. And that's why he was pushing Posey. And after that whole scene, he sends Posey. He's like, all right, go talk to the guy. And the guy was a doctor, basically a shrink. So because he tells him you need to work on your temper. So Posey goes in there and he talks to him. And then I like when Posey comes out and he was like, I just talked to the doctor. and I got some things off my chest. I feel really good. And it was just this subtle like, oh, men, talk about your feelings. Therapy Mm -hmm. is good. But I don't think that's what was taken away from this film. (laughs) I don't think so. either. I don't think that that was the I got it. But I was like, I think that people have missed this. Um, and then finally, man, I cracked up when it, they're at the, the, you know, the final whole mission scene and they're Nazis and they're speaking to Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson in German because they just look the part. And I'm like, that was my life with Ma in Germany of people just coming up and speaking to her in German just because she looked the part. Yeah. And she's just like, uh, <laughs> sprechen Sie English? <laughs> nix Deutsch, nix bubbly, nix Deutsch, nix bubbly, nix Deutsch. <laughs> oh, good times. I have that Lee Marvin was very disrespectful to James Brown. Only oh, when, really? only when James Brown couldn't hear him. Whoa. Not James, Jim Brown. I'll bet his name was James, but he called himself Jim. And then I have El- So he, he was just he was disrespectful behind his back. Yeah. I'll point out. 
who was he named after? And he came, he, his lineage goes back to the yeah. 60, an OG colonizer. And he's in charge of the ragtag. Don't think there's that. Just that, that's that supplemental, supplemental, subliminal message. <laughs> they're, they're Supplementally, okay. Now, one time, Lee, well, Lee Marvin evidently was drunk a lot. He was a, an alcoholic. Right. Yes. And he was somewhere where he solicited an older woman in a vulgar manner. He's 43. And the older woman was Sean Connery's aunt. <gasps> and uh, the producer went up to Sean Connery and said, <clears throat> just don't hit him in the face. We have close-ups tomorrow. <laughs> and Sean Connery thought that was hilarious and let it all go. Oh, that's weird. Because Sean Connery, um, he also put his hands on women. Yes, and had a bit of an anger issue, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And was like uh, um, very, wasn't he like a bodybuilder and, and stuff like Not saying that that's synonymous, but just to paint the picture of he was, Sean Connery was very, uh, I feel like in touch with that sort of masculinity that veers into toxicity. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> very well said. <clears throat> I am also going to say <clears throat> that most of the men in this film were way older than the parts suggested. Yes, I read that as well. Mm -hmm. I would think Jim Brown being 30, that might be. That was in line. Yeah, but the others, yeah, would be in their 20s. But then I wonder if maybe that was also. That would be interesting. I'm sure somebody's done it like a paper on that because like that war, so many people went to war and they were mm -hmm. young people that I'm imagining that there would be somewhat of maybe uh, maybe like a drought or a, a shrinkage of talent for a certain amount of period, a period of time amongst male actors. And so then when they they were just older anyway. And by the time they got to acting, because there were a lot of, yeah, that's like, true. you know, like Lee Marvin, he he wasn't <clears throat> an actor before he went in the military. And then you serve George Kennedy, that guy, oh, like how he was uh -huh. in for 16 years. But I think maybe that there was a lot of that, you know, that generation that they served. And so then they were older when they came out right, right. and started. And then it was it was OK. Because a lot of the young, so many young men died also. Those were my tasties. Teeny? I have, um, when they were in the prison, one of the guys was looking at Yank Weekly Whoa. magazine. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a real magazine that was a World War II magazine for the Army. Um, and you can look up, like I'm looking at one from 1944. They have like one from a couple, like uh, on archive.org. So there's a Yank magazine from January 16th, 1944. So I was flipping through it. And a lot of it's like, like uh, scouts over Germany. And it's about a photo pilot who makes his run across a target from a height of six to eight miles. And then he shoots pictures and 
Then there's like at home, like what people are doing on their off time, behind the lines, pictures of what people, what's happening. And then it's just like. Oh, just this like one definitely, that title would definitely not fly in now. Well, <laughs> but there's also pinup girls. So oh. Virginia Mayo is a pinup girl. So then I started like, I was like, oh yeah, pinup girls originated in World War II. Mm-hmm. Jane um, Russell. And then there's like comics and news from home. Sorry, Mac is on my lap and he all of a sudden really wants to get down. So I'm gonna honor his wishes. Um, <laughs> Cause she's a good mama. Um. Oh, this seems, this is, uh, I don't see the title of this. The soldiers in the Indian army are divided into many races that speak different languages and observe different customs. Here are some of the types of India's men in uniform. I don't know. Very interesting to uh, look through. But then I started to, I was just starting to Google pinup girls, but... Um, I don't, so I don't have much about that, but yeah, that was my only tasty titty. That was a real magazine he was looking for. And you can see some of it on archives.org. And at the very end, um, Charles Bronson is looking at a newspaper. It's the stars and stripes. Is it? Yeah. I remember stars and stripes. Yeah. That, that was, was the newspaper. Yeah. In Germany. Yeah, exactly. There was also army times. That, we, oh, that was sold at, wasn't that called the Stars and Stripes? Wasn't that the books yeah, like, that where all the, the magazines bookstore. were and yep. the comics? You go into there. Yeah. Did the Four Seasons that was, was that the Four Seasons? That was like the 7-Eleven? Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you had like the PX, the Post Exchange. That was like your target. And the commissary was the grocery store. And the, what was it? The class... Class, class six. Class six was the alcohol store. And then yeah. there was the, the uniform store. I forget the name of it. Oh, yeah. But that wasn't like in the complex that I would go to. That I would walk to alone at 11 years old. <laughs> Did you know that pinup girls are also, pinup pictures are also referred to as cheesecake photos? Cheesecake. I've heard cheesecake oh. before. Cheesecake mm-hmm. was an American slang word that became a publicly acceptable term for scantily clad, semi-nude, or nude photos of women because pinup was considered taboo in the early 20th century. Oh, okay. So we'll just give it a new name, but it's the, the term, exact same thing. Cheesecake yeah, the term, seems dirtier than yeah. pinup girl to me. The term pinup was first attested to in English in 1941. Although the practice is documented at least back to the 1890s. Oh, I'm sure. Pen-up images could be cut out of magazines or newspapers, or they could be post on a postcard or lithograph. I'm sure I mean, that there was like <laughs> illustrations in the dysentery oh, yeah. civil war. <laughs> Male pinups known as beefcakes were less common. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, beefcakes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just never thought of that. Like that word. <laughs> That's funny. I have that there were several TV... I'm sorry, is everyone done? Mm-hmm. I am. I have that there are several TV film sequels. There's the Dirty Dozen colon Next Mission. There's oh the my. Dirty Dozen colon The Deadly Mission. I would like to just add here that only one of them survived. So it's, yeah, they're all a yeah. deadly mission. Yeah. Well, but then there's 
the dirty dozen colon the fatal mission mm. oh so even he dies yeah this was nominated for four academy awards it was nominated john cassavetes got nominated for best supporting actor yeah he was good it was nominated for best film editing. It was nominated okay. for best sound and it won for best sound effects. Yeah. There was a lot of, I mean, how much ammunition did they have? A lot. It just went on forever. Yeah. John Wayne turned down the role of Reisman because he objected. So in the original version of the script, he objected to the adultery because Reisman's oh, yeah. character has a relationship with an English woman whose husband is fighting on the continent. Mm, and yeah. John Wayne was like, no. So, but that kind Thank of makes, God. it goes, it goes in with my theory of like cast in America. Like, yeah, they were going to have like, it was going to be John Wayne who was going to be the leader of this oh. misfit bunch. Mm -hmm. <sighs> um, okay. Shit. Trini Lopez, remember how I was like, oh, Jimenez, he died first and he died off screen. That was because he left the film early in real life. Frank Sinatra told him to. Right. Production yeah. ran over. We already mentioned that with because there was like rain going on. There was a bunch of mm. delays. So production ran over. That was why Jim Brown was like eh. NFL oh, deuces. Yeah. Frank Sinatra told Trini Lopez to quit. So he his recording career wouldn't lose momentum. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that's why that death was so weird. Yeah. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Um, the impersonation of the general where that was Donald Sutherland. Yes. That was originally supposed to be the Posey character. Yeah. But Clint Walker thought the scene was demeaning to his character who was native American. So okay. he didn't want to do it. Yes. So then um, the director, he just picked Donald Suther Sutherland to do the role. And the director, Robert Altman, he enjoyed that scene so much that that directly um, was the result of Donald Sutherland being hired for MASH, which exactly. is when his career definitely took off. Mm -hmm. So he was in some other film and he had he was like, oh, here, um, this is Donald Sutherland. Watch this. And he screened it and uh, for the director. And he was like, okay, so that's how Donald Sutherland got cast in this part. And then because of that, we got Robert Altman and he went on to MASH. And then we got to see him in Clute. And so that was how his oh. career really mm -hmm. took off. Um, he was also in The Great Gatsby. Hmm. <clears throat> in Spike Lee, he did a documentary in 2002 called Jim Brown All-American. And in that documentary the owner of the browns art model he's like i made a huge Dude, mistake i made a horrible <laughs> mistake i made a horrible mistake i, was I like, didn't think he'd quit Come he pressed on. he pressed he was like hold on i believe and he just pressed spotify and shares if i could turn back time came on <laughs> as he was basically <laughs> recounted how yeah, he would have never made yeah, it was like, I never would have made Jim Brown choose between acting and football. <sighs> um, but you did. Yeah. Because you came in there with the big now or nothing, and Jim mm -hmm. Brown went, I have options, bitch. Oh, white man, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> the caucasity. Straight up. 
Um, Barbara Maloney, she's the daughter of John Agnew, who I mentioned earlier was a real live Filthy 13 member. She said that her father thought that this film was 30% historically correct. So he was like, I yeah, yeah. That. I know. You know. Um, Roger Ebert, this film came out his first year of reviewing, and this is, this is Roger Ebert, and it's, he's being sarcastic. This is sarcastic Ebert. He says, quote, I'm glad the Chicago Police Censor Board forgot about the part of the local censorship law where it says films shall not depict the burning of the human body. If you have to censor, stick to censoring sex, I say, but leave in the mutilation, leave in the sadism, leave and by all means, leave in the human beings burning to death. It's not obscene as long as they burn to death with their clothes on. Wow. So that was that was in 1967. I did, like they, I did like that they didn't show the people burning in the But that's that's just how violence in but even then he was like, Oh, we're censoring sex, but like the violence and when we watch this movie, it does not seem violent at all. <laughs> which is which is very sad, I think, if we really think about that of because these people were up in arms over the violence, and you're like, oh, man, we just see head yeah. to just Literally, you see 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait till you see first graders murdered in their classroom. And nobody <clears throat> give a fuck about no, it. Nothing is done. Um, Lee Marvin, he would show up drunk a lot. Yes. And Charles oh. Bronson threatened to punch him. He was like, oh, I'm so... And he's like, okay, Charles, just don't get Clint Walker to punch me. Yeah. Um, The director, Robert Aldrich, he intended the film as an anti-war allegory for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But it's just very interesting because once, you know, you... I guess in some ways, that's what is another positive reheatable about this film is that... It's kind of like with when we did last week Persona. It's it's whatever you want it to be. So I can see that there are people who would be like on the far right who would love this film because it's ah rah rah America, and then there would be people who would see like oh look at us we're no better than they are. What mm-hmm. is this really saying? So it's interesting. Um, the controversial then there's also we've mentioned the controversial depiction of Allied soldiers being no different than Nazis. Jefferson is sentenced to die for not being lynched. Raisman pushes Parker, Parker Posey's. Raisman pushing Parker's, Raisman pushing Posey's Bringing Franco to heel and U.S. soldiers hurting Germans into makeshift ovens and burning them to death. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, how are we any different? And then there was this um, thing, 60 Minutes on the Dirty Dozen by Matt Zoller Sitz. He points out, this is like what Teeny was saying with the metaphors. Here you go, Teeny, because mm. it's the same thing for me here. The feeling of claustrophobia that this film does. Mm-hmm. And it was attempt, like by the overhead shots, peering, mm-hmm. a lot of peering down into rooms. Um, on the close-ups, they would use a telephoto lens, so it makes the background feel looming in behind mm-hmm. you because it's out of mm-hmm. focus. So you just kind of see it as images and it's more of a feeling. Um, shooting through things like leg chairs or like hospital beds that 
um, cuts off and divides the frame, so it creates prison bar effects even when mm. they aren't in prison. Mm. Um, quote, the movie's bleak view of institutional and political servitude still carries a charge after all these decades. The Dirty, Do- the Dirty Dozen was controversial in its time for its harsh brutality and its acknowledgement that military life has a built-in sadistic component. Watch how many times Aldrich's cuts from a close-up of somebody in pain or fear to a close-up of an onlooker enjoying themselves, as well as a lot of incompetence and self-serving chicanery. Uh-huh. Chicanery. Mm-hmm. And then finally, during the Last Supper scene, Maggot is the one that's sitting in the Judas seat. Oh. And he's the one that that yeah. blows up Prematurely. the whole mission. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that part. So, mm-hmm. Yep, that's what I have. That has been the Dirty Dozen. On I, this just, I just really day. enjoyed it. It was just like fun, you know, war movie, but... It taps on all the war movie things, but if you don't want to be so burdened with, like, you know, the realities of war and stuff, it is just a fun movie to just sit down. Even, like, we said how long it was, and I thought the movie flew by. I was just... I did, too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I had a really profound statement to make. Uh Uh-oh, you lost it. And I forgot it. They even had a Waka Waka um, uh, montage scene. <laughs> you know? The scene. And they're, they're, oh, yeah, it reminded me. They rem- it was the reverse of the Buster Keaton scene. How mm-hmm. Marvin. There was just a whole bunch of like, oh, what, we're building things. Oh, Waka Waka. Oh, mm-hmm. really camaraderie. And he's standing there looking around. And then the, the wall comes up over him. That was cool. That was a cool shot. Yes. Okay, this has been The Dirty Dozen, which we did for two reasons. Well, three. One, because Erin chose it. Um, She chose it because it is Memorial Day, and we had just lost Jim Brown. And um, so I think it's a good um, tribute to Memorial Day and Jim Brown. Mm -hmm. And we got to find out that, like, Black people. Invented Memorial Day. Yeah. Black people invented Memorial Day, but we'll never country. get credit for it. Yep. Okay, next week we are back to 1975. Oh, the 70s. It is an independent musical. 1975 independent musical we do the rocky horror picture show one hour and 51 minutes you're welcome Mm. the director is ken russell oh wait oh no we have ann margaret we have jack nicholson little shop of horrors i was gonna guess that too we have eric clapton it's not a little shop of horrors we have Keith Moon, but this Tommy? was chosen because we are doing a tribute to Tina Turner. The Acid Queen? The Acid Queen. In Tommy, Tommy, can you hear me? Tommy, oh. can you hear me? That, that's Papa, can you hear me? 
Are we able to watch this? Yes, we can watch it on, I believe. Wait, let me look it up. But yes, I did check that. Oh, I think it's interesting you went with Tommy and not the um the one of the Mad Max that she was in. Because <laughs> I'm not into Mad Max. Because you don't need another hero. I don't. We can watch it on Apple TV and Prime Video. It's on YouTube. Uh, Google Play Movies and Redbox and Voodoo. Okay, so Ooh, this is the Who's fun. Tommy about a pinball uh-huh. wizard. Isn't Elton John in it? Yes. I'm excited. Yeah, it's... Um, I remember my senior year in high school, there was this guy who was in a band. I think he might have been a drummer. And so into this, because it's a rock opera. Mm-hmm. So the fact that rock reached out to the opera genre mm. and he was so into it. And then when this came out and they said Tina Turner was the acid queen, I mean. Say less. Okay. Yes. Nice. So, and it's yeah. Tommy. And Tommy. Oh, yeah. Now Tina's going to just be singing Tommy, can you hear me to Tommy? I know. <laughs> And yet, it's not Tommy, can you hear me? Okay. Oh, it's not? That was Papa, can you hear me? I changed it to Tommy, can you hear me? And went, that's not right. Well, what is it? Oh, I guess we'll find out. Pinball Wizard. That's Pinball Wizard, but I thought there was another song, Tommy. Tommy, can you hear me? Well, there might be. We will. It's not, oh man. (laughs) Again, just into my things Aaron has made up. 1975. It's just going to be a, a rock opera. About a pinball wizard. About a pinball wizard who's deaf, who cannot speak, and he is blind. And that's not how they're going to say refer to that in that's the lyrics. Not, <laughs> no, they're not, because it's... Um, Pete Townsend hear. was like, this doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't. Uh, so it's just going to be a one syllable word, but that's our first negative reheatable. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, listeners, we hope you have enjoyed the Dirty Dozen. Thank you to everyone who is celebrating Memorial Day this weekend and to the Black community who actually started it all. Who knew? Hmm. Who knew? Now you do. Bye. Bye.